You know, I love Christmas. I mean, I absolutely love Christmas. You know, there's a, one of my favorite Christmas songs is Oh Holy Night. And there's this line in that song. It says, the weary world rejoices. And man, this is a weary world, isn't it? I mean, we're worn out. We're, we're tired. Sometimes we get to this time of year and it's just, if I can just make it to Christmas. And we are, we're weary, we're worn out. And I love that line in the song because now we can rejoice because Jesus came. And when Jesus came, you know what? He fixed everything that was broken at Christmas. And I'm not talking about just systems and structures. I'm talking about he fixed our hearts. And, you know, man has, I mean, for thousands of years has recognized that there's something wrong with our hearts. I mean, I remember back in elementary school and I was studying um, Zeus. You remember that guy, you know, Zeus, who's the, uh, the Greek uh, god of mythology and uh, Zeus had given the gift of fire to man. He gave it to a guy named Prometheus, remember? And Prometheus takes the fire and misuses it and hurts people and burns things down, goes crazy with it. He's like, I have fire. And so Zeus says, enough of that. I'll just chain you to a rock and have an eagle come uh, eat your liver out every day for the rest of your life. How about that? Uh, and then the next day, it happens to you all over again, just eternal punishment kind of thing. And so man has recognized there was something wrong with our hearts and, and we try and fix, fix systems and structures and do things like, um, like like we had this good idea years ago, let's insulate houses with asbestos, which is basically like eating cancer for breakfast. So no, let's don't do that. And then uh, they said, you know what holds paint together really well? Lead. And that makes you really say, that's a bad idea. We, we've got all these, we think are great ideas how to fix systems and structures, how to fix our hearts. And, and we always just end up doing the wrong thing and doing it the wrong way. But God says, look, I got a plan. And so you can have your life fixed, your heart healed. Everything can be made better if you just come home for Christmas. Come home to me at Christmas. And so that's what we've been talking about during this series is coming home for Christmas. And I love the idea of coming home for Christmas because home for Christmas to me communicates peace, um, happiness, um, being around people that love me, being around people that accept me. Uh, and that's what I think Home for Christmas is all about. So I love Christmas, and I love the idea of going home for Christmas. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. I love that the Christmas story doesn't make sense. I mean, you would think that when the Messiah, the Savior of the world was going to arrive, that it would be completely different than the way that it works out in the scriptures. I mean, you'd think that there'd be so much more and it would be so different in so many ways. I, you know, I, I love the fact that 
that God uses the government for his purposes. God's not sitting there going, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm not sure how in the I hope Joseph understands that he's got to get to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecies in the Old Testament that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. I hope he does it. Uh, but it, it doesn't work out that way. It, but God says, look, here's what I'm going to do. During the first census of Caesar Augustus, not the second or the third or the fourth, but during the first one, I'm going to send Joseph to Bethlehem. So God uses the government for his purposes. And God's always in charge. His timing is always perfect. And, you know, I, I love the fact that that nobody gets to pick and choose whether they're going to glorify God or not. I mean, Caesar Augustus is not saying, you know, tell you what, I'm not going to glorify God, not into that. I'm going to glorify myself. No, even if if he is screaming and cussing at God and saying how terrible that God is, God says, look, I'm still going to be in charge and I'm still going to use you to bring glory to me. And, and that's what God does. God works in our lives to bring glory to himself and not because he's all about the glory, but also because he wants the very best for us because he knows that his timing is always better than our timing is and his plan is always better than our plan and I love that about Christmas I love that it doesn't make sense you know you'd think that if the savior of the world was being born that you know it would be in the most beautiful well pointed city in the world but it's in Bethlehem. It's in this. It's in, in, in Galilee. I mean, it's like in the low rent district. And uh, you know, you never would think that it was going to work out like that. And you know, and people always say, "Well, what, you know, what do you think Jesus looked like? Like he was a baby? He looked like a baby." And so, and people say, "You know, well, and it's always this time of year that somebody makes a big deal about. It. Well, you know, Jesus was was white, or Jesus was uh, was black, or Jesus was polka dot, or whatever. I mean, they're going to make something about it this time of year." Uh, it seems like someone will always say some, something about it. He was Jewish. He was very Jewish. He was super Jewish. I mean, his whole lineage was that way. So he looked like he was someone from the Middle East. And he looked like a, just a little baby. And, uh, you know, wasn't glowing in the dark or anything like that. But he was just a baby. And I love that because it doesn't make sense that Jesus emptied himself, left heaven, is born to a young woman, I don't know, maybe... 14, 15 years old. You know, she probably was working as a maid somewhere or had just left her father's house. I mean, he completely empties himself and say, I'm going to be lower than everyone else. I love it. I love it. That doesn't make sense. You know, you ever go to the gas station, you get you know, gas in your hands, you know, that stink and that smell of the gas, it just won't go away. Uh, you know, I... I I was thinking a few minutes ago, I was thinking about how, you know, when Jesus was born in a stable and we romanticized that, you know, and, or, and but I mean, it stunk. It smelled bad. I mean, I wouldn't put my baby there. You wouldn't put your baby there. I mean, it, it was a, a terrible place, you know, and, and Jesus was born into a high honor culture, you know, you know, and so I think we live in a low honor culture. So Arthur, what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean is that typically because we live in a low honor culture, you know, things have changed the last 20 or 30 years. People don't say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and no, ma'am. And uh, they don't say please and thank you unless you're at Chick-fil-A. They didn't say my pleasure. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, uh, we live in a real low honor culture. Well, Jesus was in a very high honor culture. And, you know, and you gave up your seat of, uh, of honor for someone else. Well, here's a woman who is 
I don't know, 14, 15 years old. She's, I mean, on the verge of giving birth. And what happens is that nobody says, hey, we want you to be in a place that's clean to have your baby, a place to be more comfortable with your baby. I mean, nobody says that. But that's what I love about the Christmas story. I I love it. it. It doesn't make sense because Jesus completely empties himself. I mean, it's born in the nastiest, lowest, worst place imaginable to say that, look, I came here to serve you, not to rule you. I, I love that the Christmas story doesn't make sense. You know, when we start thinking about the humility of Jesus, you know, for a lot of us, it really doesn't move us. And we think, ah, what's the big deal? It's just a little story. But I think there's two reasons that it really doesn't move us when we hear the fact that Jesus emptied himself, poured himself out for us, lowered himself for us. And I think one thing is that we have this ignorance of the promises of God and we are not understanding how incredible it is that every single promise that God made that he keeps and the things that he said he's going to do, he's going to do. The big things in the world like saying that he's going to send his son to die for our sin and there's going to be a savior that is going to make a way for us to have a relationship with God so that then we can go to heaven. Big things like that. But he also keeps his promises and saying that he's going to love us and he's going to take care of us and he's going to encourage us and he's going to protect us. Uh, that uh, he is always going to be with us, that we'll never be alone, that he's never going to betray us. And so I, I, I think that's one of the reasons that we don't think that um, the emptying of Jesus uh, is such a big deal. I, I think really the, the other reason is uh, we don't think the promises are such a big deal is because you don't think that you need them. And, and here's the deal is that you absolutely do need the promises of God in your life. You need to know that there's hope for you and there's security for you and there's uh, a way that you can have a relationship with God so that you have not only a better life here, but that you're with him forever. You know, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, that, uh, that God forgives us uh, fully, he forgives us freely, and God forgives us forever because God keeps his promises. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. You know, to me, the only thing that makes sense in the Christmas story is the angels. Because if you were a Jewish family, the most significant event that's going to happen in the life of a 
mom and a dad who are Jewish is that you have a son as your firstborn child. I mean, it doesn't get any better for a Jewish family to have a son as their firstborn child. And so what they would do, they would they would celebrate it, you know, and we do that now, right? When you have a baby, you send out announcements, you know, and some people, you know, you, you send out a little card that you buy at the drugstore and some people, you know, send out cards that are laminated with gold or something. And, and so if you had a little bit of money, uh, you would send out a little something. You had a lot of money, send something out extravagant. Well, and so what they would do is they would hire someone. They would hire a, a herald to go around and announce to everyone that they were having a baby, that they had had a young boy, a firstborn son. And so Mary and Joseph have nothing. I mean, nothing, no money at all. They can't even ask somebody, here's a pittance to go out and announce to everybody that, that a baby has been born, that they have had a young, uh, a young boy. So here's what, this, this makes sense to me. God says, look, you can't afford a herald. I'll send one for you. And so he doesn't send just one angel. He sends hundreds of angels. And, and the whole sky fills with the angels saying that, that Jesus has been born. That makes sense to me. I mean, look, that's an entrance. That, yeah, that tells me, look, the Messiah has come. The Savior of the world has come. I, I, I love that. And, you know, and, and then the shepherds, I mean, and you, you got to think about these, these shepherds that are sitting there seeing the, these angels appear to them. And I mean, I'm thinking, you know, they're scared to death and what in the world, because nobody's ever seen anything like that, but the whole sky is filled with light of the angels. That makes sense to me. I love that God announces, hey, look, here's my son. My son is here. My son has come, and he is going to bring peace on earth and goodwill to men. Good to be home for Christmas. I love this whole Christmas story. I love that so much of it doesn't make sense. I, I love that the one part that does make sense is the angels appearing to the shepherds, but then it doesn't make sense again because the, I mean, why would God announce this to shepherds? I mean, you know, there's some guy over there, you know, 
And I don't know why he's probably, he's probably trying to hide his meth pipe or something. And when all his angels start popping out, because I mean, shepherds were, I mean, they were the lowest of the low. I mean, uh, oftentimes they were thieves. They were um, tent dwelling people. They didn't have anything. They were running away from justice. Uh, I mean, and especially shepherds that worked at night. I mean, they were the, uh, I mean, society-wise, I mean, they were the lowest of the low. And, and again, why would, I mean, why wouldn't God announce this to, to a king? But he, he chooses shepherds and the, the, the people that nobody loved. Um, nobody wanted to be around shepherd. Nobody's just growing up and saying, hey, you know what? When I grew up, I want to be a shepherd. Uh, that's not occurring to anybody. But he does. He, he appears to these shepherds who they don't deserve to be the receivers of this announcement that the king of kings has been born. But that's what happens. And I mean, and so I imagine they see one angel and then hundreds of angels and, you know, and, and they're kind of scared to death. And they, well, we, hey, we, we got to go looking. And, you know, and I, I don't know where they went, you know, just like a beeline exactly to exactly where Jesus was born. Or they start asking around, hey, has a baby been born tonight? Has a baby been born tonight? I, I, I don't know. I'm, but they, 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 they find Jesus and they see him and they believe and, and when they believe, what do they do? They tell everybody else. They start walking around going, look, the Savior has been born. The Savior's here. There's hope in the world again. Christmas has fixed everything. God has done what he said he's going to do. And so we're just like the shepherds, aren't we? We don't deserve for God to show his love toward us, but he has showed his love toward us and he's reached out to us and he's changed our lives. And so just like the shepherds, because we were lowly people without God, he has changed us. He's made us new. He has fixed what's broken. He's fixed our hearts. And so then we can go and we can tell people, Jesus has changed me. Jesus has come. The Savior is here. There's hope. The world doesn't have to be broken, but you can receive Jesus Christ and as your savior and things can be different for you. But, you know, the thing is, of course, we start thinking, well, yeah, I should do that. But, you know, usually I think it's like two things I think that hold us back from doing that. I think the first thing is to say, well, if I start telling other people about Jesus, you know, the first thing that's going to happen is they're going to ask me a question that I don't have the answer for. Listen, the shepherds didn't know everything. You don't have to have the answer to every question. What you need to be able to do is to share your story, to tell somebody else what Jesus has done for you because they can't refute that. And no, you don't have to have the answer to every single thing, but maybe you can find somebody who can help you find the answer if it's something about Scripture. But in regards to just Jesus, you just tell somebody what he's done for you, how he's changed you. That, that's what it is. Uh, so don't let that be an excuse for you. And, and here's the other thing, and I, I really do not understand this. I mean, I don't understand this at all. But a lot of us think that if we start telling other people about our relationship with Jesus, that what's going to happen is that people are going to think we're not cool. And that is asinine to me. I mean, listen, I was really concerned about being cool when I was in seventh grade because I wanted to dance with a certain girl in seventh grade. And maybe at the seventh grade dance, you were all concerned about being cool. And listen, cool points will get you somewhere in seventh grade. But once you get to about halfway through eighth grade, the cool points are gone. It's over with. And, you know, you're 35, 40, 50 years old, and you're still concerned about being cool and what people think about you? 
No, no, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. So let me give you a couple suggestions about some way that, that you can just begin to have that conversation with someone about Jesus. Because listen, when you walk up to somebody and say, get sanctified or get French fried, get saved or get microwaved, turn or burn, get right or get left, that's, that's not going to go. That's not going to work. But instead, you know, you begin having a conversation with someone. You know, one of the very best things that you can ask somebody who's interested in finding out more about a relationship with God through his son Jesus is you just say this, say, hey, how can I pray for you? And they're going to go, no, 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 no I, I'm, I don't need your religious stuff. So I, look, I'm, that's not what I'm asking. I'm just saying as a friend, I would like to pray for you. Is there something I could pray for you about? And you'll begin to notice that the conversation, and more importantly, the tone of the conversation will begin to change because you're saying, I love you, I'm serving you, I'm willing to pray for you. If you'll just ask that simple question, how can I pray for you? It will make a huge difference in the way that you're able to relate with someone. And, you know, the other thing is our culture has become so rushed. But you know what Jesus did? Over and over again in Scripture, we find out that Jesus ate with sinners. Now, I'm not saying go walking around labeling your friends, calling them a sinner, but I'm saying would you have dinner with them? Not at a restaurant, but would you cook dinner for them, invite them to your home, Show them that you love them. And by the, the time that you spent preparing that and the food, then you can begin to have conversation. And they'll begin to see by your ministry of hospitality, love, and service toward them that you genuinely do care about them. And that serves as a great gateway to be able to tell them your story and how you came into Jesus and how he has impacted your life. And those are just a couple of suggestions that are really important and really easy, I think, for everyone to do. And... You know, more than anything, though, right now, what I wanted to tell you is that what I love about Christmas, more than the fact that Christmas fixes everything, and I love that Christmas doesn't make sense, I love that we can come home for Christmas. And so I hope that this Christmas, if you've been far away from God, if you've been doing your own thing, if you've never had a relationship with God, that you'll choose to come home for Christmas this Christmas.